1: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director and co writer for Biosphere, Mel Eslin. None of this is logical. We know that things happen that we cannot explain. Do you? (laughs) Yeah. We want fast, we want slow. What are we feeling?
0: Uh, You pick. Okay, so Mel, I mean, first and foremost, you've been producing for, what, 15 years now? I mean, you've been involved, especially with a lot of these Duplass productions forever. So what kind of Mm -hmm. led you to decide, no, I'm going to actually direct this one this time?
2: Uh, it, the question is more, why, how did I end up producing? <laughs> so oh, it was okay. always, yeah, it was always the plan, the writer, director from a very young age. Like I feel like seven years old, I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, was like the big believer in like, do every job on set. Uh, so when I direct, I have all that knowledge and experience. And then somewhere along the way of doing every job, when I hit producing, uh, I met Mark Duplass and he was the big detour that uh, at some point was like, come running my company. Uh, and I said, just for a little bit. And now it's been like 10 years since I started working with him. And I was like, dude, we got to get back on track a little bit. Uh, and he's always been super supportive. And the plan was always Mel starts doing her own projects. Uh, it just took me a really long time to make time for myself.
0: Wow. Well, now you have like the uh, the James Cameron syndrome going on, I guess, where you understand literally every aspect of production. So then you uh, you get to be this just force of nature when you're actually the storyteller. So
2: I that's very so. cool.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm glad you finally got here. Tell me a little bit about kind of where this project came from. It's certainly... I can imagine that the pandemic might have influenced its development a little bit, but maybe you're going to tell me this has been gestating in your brain since before you even uh, before you even started running Mark's company. So, what's the background on this?
2: Yeah, no. So, Mark, you know, in full support of me directing, has been pitching me ideas for years. To try and get me to pick one. And he pitched me like a very half formed version that ultimately became this movie that uh, really spoke to me. And I could just see it and I could see all the themes I could latch onto and expand. Um, And that was like 2017. And then I kept making everybody else's movies and not making time. And then finally he was like, dude, we gotta, you gotta do this. So we went away for a weekend together, hammered out an outline. And then three weeks later we wanted a lockdown. So oh
0: my it
2: yeah, it was not planned by any means. I was doing two people one location to just be kind on myself for my first movie and not make it too daunting. And um so the the only way the pandemic really uh influenced it was that it gave it like forced me to sit there and write it because we were all stuck at home and I'm dealing with mortality is people I love are getting sick. And unfortunately some passing away and you just suddenly it was the thought, this thought of who knows how much time we have left. So I'm doing this.
0: Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) I can't imagine much better um, creative inspiration than that. Well, I'm glad you finally got to tell this story. Let me ask you this. What degree of improv did you allow with your actors on this? You had obviously this outline, you fleshed out the script. I know, I think Mark Duplass and I guess a lot of the other films you produced are kind of known for allowing the actors to have this kind of free flowing experience, but it seemed like your camera work was very controlled here. So did Mark Mm -hmm. and Sterling still improv a lot or was this largely kind of how you would kind of put it together?
2: Yeah, I mean, Mark and I do so much improv, and I love it because we will capture lightning in a bottle so often, but I am also a huge stickler to script and really hammering out dialogue. I've been in the edit so many times where you have to fix or rewrite a film in the edit with ADR, and I also had the time on my hands for this, so I really hammered down that dialogue, and it was a new thing for Mark and I especially for Mark to do that. I mean, he does it like, he's not going to add them to the show as much, but uh, he, you know, he was super respectful of it and really, uh, you know, there's always room. You got to create room because the actors I think need that space. And there was some great stuff that Sterling brought that I couldn't have expected, like line delivery, even like words here and there, or the spacing, you know, all that stuff I I left to them. and, And there was some improv, but, I would say overwhelmingly, we stuck to the script more than we usually do.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it showed because obviously the camera work is extremely crisp. I love your like seven minute opening long take where (laughs) Sterling and Mark are just running in circles around this dome. And I guess that kind of like leads into my next question. Tell me a little bit about Clearly, there was a lot of work with the set decoration and production design Mm -hmm. into making this a functional space that you could film in that also looked believably where two people could have lived for years. And I guess you also had like little sticky notes in the background that says, you know, like stuff like suck my dick bill or something, you know, like (laughs) Uh, So tell me a little bit about actually creating the physical space that you guys used as this set. Coming up. The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.
2: Yeah, no, I I was using these dome um, greenhouses as inspiration that were called the Mitchell Park Domes in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I grew up. So I had this visual in my head. And was also, you know, familiar with Biosphere 2, the true real life experiment. And really just did a lot of research on what would make this plausible. And also read a lot about like what you need in a spaceship, you know, to survive and how you get air and what you do with your waste. And so kind of put everything into that. It's just enough, I should say, because... When it, especially when it's indie science fiction and you have limited means, and it was more about the emotions and the characters. I really wanted just enough where people would be like, oh, there's your radio isotope machine. I know what that is. Or if I don't, it sounds super fancy. They must know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, and then I, I had this drawing where I showed how I wanted the room to split up, which, you know, we would use when we were writing to just figure out logistics and I handed that over to my production designer, Megan, Fenton, and she expanded upon that, made it better, You know, really helped nail down the color design, made it feel timeless. She put in a clear glass wall for the bathroom so that you could never feel like you had privacy. But then we also worked really hard between Megan and my DP, Nate Miller, to find ways to, even though we're in one giant room, make it feel like there were different spaces and there were different locations in a very small single space.
0: Yeah, no, I, I certainly felt very claustrophobic, but I was, I was also very <laughs> impressed how you you managed to make this space run like that. Okay, so I also loved the various bits of media that you chose to reference, and obviously, I mean there there's. You know, like why did you have Kiss the Spider Woman? Okay, well, that's that's very clearly, <laughs> you know, yeah. There, there's a very clear reason to tie that in. But how did you choose some of the references you were going to have? I mean, obviously Mario is a big thing yeah. throughout this, for example.
2: Yeah. I mean, Mario Brothers, that was Mark's that was actually Mark's first pitch, is he's like, there's these two guys at the end of the world living in a biosphere, and they have a running joke about Mario Brothers. That was almost like the main part of his first pitch. And he was like, you know, and I'm the one who looked it up and was like, oh, here's how Mario Brothers actually was formed. And here's some history. And But that dynamic, he was the one who really started out with that idea. And now that we're on the other side, I know that what he was doing was kind of writing about our relationship, which is him being like, I'm the Mario who everybody knows. And you're my secret sauce who does all this stuff in the back. But, you know, a lot of people don't know that you do that. This is
0: tea. This is tea, yeah. right?
2: Here. <laughs> yeah. So that was, you know, that I got to give that up to Mark. And then a lot of the other ones to say were totally me because it was like, talk, you know, lethal weapons, sneakers. There were all these like things that were such a part of my childhood. And also that I just find hysterical references that I threw in there that I think really added to this like. Uh, idea of masculinity between these two male characters and what they would bring into the atmosphere. Like the, one of the movies they bring is legal weapon three, you know, yeah, I was wondering, or two, two wait, four. was it two or three? I think it was three. Oh crap. It's, it's uh, it might be two.
0: It's like, it's the <laughs> really peshy heavy one. I think that's the mm-hmm. third one. Okay. Yeah.
2: That's, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, there was just a lot of weird jokes like that, that I infused in.
0: The bowling ball story feels almost like something that actually happened to one of you two and that you wrote into the script. Where did that come from?
2: So what's funny is I thought Mark, like he was telling me kind of how that like, um, he told me this trick that was sort of the bowling ball. And then I expanded upon it and was like, Oh, here's how that, you know, that magic trick could work and why you might think it's real. So I thought we made it up like at some point I Googled, realized it's actually a real trick. And then it wasn't until like a week ago that Mark's wife is like, I actually saw that trick and I told Mark about it. I was at Tony Shalhoub's party for a, his son's birthday or whatever. And <laughs> I was like, Mark, dude, <laughs> like, I thought we made that up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, now knowing that the bowling ball was in fact a trick and that there was uh, there was a magician using sleight of hand, it concerns me about the future of these characters. Um, Yeah. To the extent you're willing to shake any ambiguity, do you have any idea what you foresee happening to those two in the, uh, the future? Mm,
2: No. (laughs) I I have a lot of ideas, but I'm like, I'm so big on like leaving space for audiences to project their own experiences and thoughts. And I think like, As viewers, sometimes we can come up with better endings. And so I kind of wanted to leave that for everybody to walk away with what they wanted. And for some people it's it's more a feeling or a theme or a concept, like it's a parable almost, you know, but and then for other people, they're taking it at face value and want to figure out exactly what happens next. And I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to say because I don't actually know.
0: Yeah. No, it's 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 the vibes. I get it. I I, I certainly left this film. I was shocked just how emotional something that toys with concepts that are, you know, so just both high concept and then sometimes like insane, but it it yeah. worked and it, and it certainly did create something pretty touching and emotional. So I think we're about out of time. But before I go, this is directorial project number one. Now that you got one in the can, are you looking to give us another one soon?
2: Yeah, I actually have the next project already in the can, uh, which uh, I actually shot end of last year. So there's already things uh, in motion. Um, But obviously, we have a strike that is happening right now. So certain things are paused. But um, yeah, this is kind of, Mark and I call it the new norm now. It just so happens that Mel makes movies in addition to Mark and Jay.
0: (laughs) That's very exciting. I can't wait to see what you bring next. So Thank Thank you you. so much. And, uh, you know, best of luck with whatever the next project that comes is. This was something truly unique and special film. So thank you.
2: Thank you so much. That means a lot.
1: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mappie's interview with the director and co-writer for Biosphere, Mel Eslin, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Biosphere is currently playing in limited release in theaters from IFC Films. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time.